As you find your seats, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. This whole Advent season, we're going to be in Matthew 1. We're going to use that kind of as a springboard uh, into the story of Jesus' genealogy. We'll be in Matthew 1. And then we're going to be in one of the most crazy stories of all of Scripture. We're going to be in Genesis 38. Some of you are going to say, are you sure that this came from the Bible? It did. It's an amazing story. Uh, I want to begin uh, this morning again by thanking Charlie. Uh, I love the fact that when I get away, God has blessed King's Chapel with such a great preacher and teacher and Charlie and for bringing God's word. Uh, Katie and I watched last week online and we're blessed. So thank you so much for filling in my brother. The blessings to you. So let me ask you, I don't know if your mom's like my mom, but my mom, God rest her soul and bless her. My mom loved family photos. I mean, she, she loved family photos. I think all moms, it comes with like being mom, right? You gotta love pictures, especially pictures of your family. In uh, a time before cell phones or computers that you could store all your pictures digitally, you know, mom wasn't able to do that. So my mom, well, she stored the family photos and family albums throughout the house. Almost every room will have a family uh, album there uh, for everyone to be able to open them up to see. And if anybody was a first-time guest into the Jake's home, I kid you not, my mom wanted to show them some of the family albums. That's a good thing, right? I mean, immediately, listen, if you want to know the Jake's is, you got to know the whole Jake's story. So there's mom wanting to show all of the family pictures, and they say that a picture's worth a thousand words, and I can guarantee you some of those family photos weren't worth a thousand words, you know? But that was my mom. Uh, she loved it. She loved her family, and she loved sharing the photos, and if you walked into our house, there was a good chance you had to endure uh, going through one of our family uh, albums. Again, back in those days, remember, those of you who were young like me, Remember, you had to take a picture and then wonder, did it come out? Uh, you had to take it somewhere and get it developed. It wasn't like today where you look at it, ah, I didn't like that. You had your eyes closed. Let me try another one, right? So then you not only had to get the pictures, then my mom had to go through and see which one of them are photo album worthy. Which one of them was going to make the photo album that will pass the test that would tell our story. My mom wanted a certain story to be told. She narrated that story. Uh, she wanted to kind of make sure that she was the screen of the family pictures. And I got to be honest with you, some of the crazier family members didn't make the pictures very often, right? Uh, some of the stories that we didn't want to tell are, are, are edited out of the family album. I mean, who thinks it's a good idea to show in a family album here. Here are our family foibles. I mean, here are those people in our family tree uh, that we uh, are, are kind of embarrassed about, but they're part of our family. Um, who thinks it's a good idea that the first thing you should do is show an album with all your family dirt? To show an album that would say, these people are in your family? Apparently God does. Because God is going to show us a family album. And he's going to do it through a genealogy of the Gospel of Matthew. And he's going to show us who is in this genealogy. Now, by the way, who even starts off a Gospel account of Matthew with a genealogy? I mean, it's boring, right? I mean, it's like going in the Jake's house. Hey, come on in. Let me show you the family album. Oh, there's a good time. Let me just show you a list of names of everybody connected to the family. 
But there's wonder of wonders in the midst of Jesus' genealogy, really wonders of wonders. The first wonder that we might miss is that there are five women who are listed in Jesus' genealogy. You got to understand, this was a time where women weren't listed. As a matter of fact, scripture like Genesis 5 is going to list the genealogy of Adam, and it lists only men. It doesn't mention any of the wonder, only women. And the wonder of wonders is Jesus says, no, no, you know, in my genealogy, in my word, I want some of these women listed as well. I want them in the family photo album. And it includes incest, prostitution, outsiders, adulterers, and a teenage pregnancy. <laughs> Those are the ones that Jesus says, okay, I'm going to have in my album. These are the ones I want to have. It's, it's quite scandalous. And that's one of the things I love about God's word. It's so raw. It's so real. But who would include these five pictures of these women? I mean, really, how does God want us to know? What does he want us to know about his story that these women are included? What does he want us to know about his son that these five women are included? What does he want us to know about our story? Why would he include them? Wonder of wonders, these women fit into the family. Uh, if they fit into Jesus' story, here's some really good news. No matter where you are and where you've been, no matter what you're going through, if they fit in, we fit in, all right? If Jesus is going to include them, he came as the Savior of the world. If he includes these, you know, like, oh, he includes me as well. If they can get in, we can get in. Clearly, Jesus came to save sinners. That's very clear with just the genealogy. He didn't come to seek and to save those who thought they had it all together. He came to seek and to save those who were messed up, those who were lost, those who needed a Savior, those who felt like outsiders from God, those who needed to be rescued. Those who Jesus came for. He came for you, and he came for me. So today we begin with the Tamar story. Tamar's story, her, it's her incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, Judah. And I kid you not, this is the story that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three main things in the story. And if nothing else, I promise you, the story is entertaining. Just reading it alone you're going to think, is this out of a Hallmark movie? Is this really real? This isn't God's word. We're going to see three things. Tamar is deceived, she's disgraced, and she's discarded. I think in our time, many women at times in their life have felt those things, deceived, disgraced, maybe even discarded. But Tamar, she's going to use deceit to expose Judah's disgrace. And then thirdly, Tamar is more righteous than Judah. So we're going to start in Matthew 1. Matthew 1, 1, we're only going to read the first three verses. Uh, this is Jesus' genealogy. This is how the New Testament begins. This is how the Gospel of Matthew begins. Uh, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. So listen to these first three verses, and then we're going to go to the Tamar story, Tamar story in Genesis 38. The Gospel of Matthew, hear the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. He had 12 of them and his kin, the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. There she is. 
First woman listed, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and so on. We'll look at more of those uh, in the coming weeks. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 38, and let's hear about Tamar. Genesis 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a, a, a certain Adumamite, whose name was Harah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. That's not really her name. That was her family name. We'll get to that in a minute. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chesbed when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. By the way, Judah never calls her by name. The boys never call her by name. The only name that we get is the narrator calling her by name. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Very rarely do we hear this personally in Scripture. How big of a loser was that guy? Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. More about this in a minute. And raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground. So as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until Selah, my young sons, grow up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timon, uh, to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hurrah, the Adulamite, and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah uh, to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. From, uh, for she saw that Shelah, the youngest boy, was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. And when Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that this was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give to you? She replied, Your signet, your cord, and your staff, and your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she rose and went away. Taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adumite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who was in Enam at the roadside? And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So we returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Ah, let her keep the things as her own. 
or we'll be laughed at. Isn't that the easiest thing? The worst thing he thought about? I'll be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, hmm, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her burn. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on the hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore they named him Breach Perez. Afterward, his father came out, I'm sorry, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that in your wisdom, you told us the truth about those who went before us. You didn't hold back. You showed that each and every one of us who's ever walked on this earth needed a savior. That we, even when we are connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even when we have such love and pedigree, we're such broken sinners that need a Savior. Lord, what a story, and what a mess. But God, it was through this story and through this mess, a Savior named Jesus would come. And he'd come for broken messes like me and those in this room. Oh God, come and be our teacher. Give us ears to hear your voice. Oh God, give us minds to understand this bizarre story. Give us hearts that would embrace your truth. And God, give us feet that because you're with us and you taught us and you pressed the gospel into us, that we would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But God, the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh God, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, so the Gospel of Matthew begins. And again, as I mentioned, who thinks that a good place to start a story is with genealogy, a list of names? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think Matthew's marketing ability stinks. I think if he asked me, how do I start off a story, I would tell him, man, start off with something really exciting. Start off with something amazing. Don't start off with a list of names. Here is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, very important, and here are a list of the people that he's connected to. Have you read that? Have you blown right by it? Have you not thought this is one of the most boring things? Let me get to the good stuff. This is the way God wants to start. So what does it tell us? Why does God give us a genealogy? It tells us one thing right away. Jesus' story is bigger than Bethlehem. Jesus' story is something greater than a manger. And it, it connects us not only to the bigger story of God, but watch this, it connects us to the bigger promises of God. A promise of a Messiah, a promise of a king. It will tell us that God's covenant and promises are real. 
So Jesus' genealogy begins by linking, it's interesting, it begins by saying, okay, we're going to link Jesus to two incredibly important Old Testament figures, to Abraham and to David. And for us to understand, he's basically saying, here are the two portraits I want you to see, and I want you to see that Jesus finds his roots in them. So let's find the meaning. Now do do me a favor. Here's what we're going to do today. Okay, I'm going to be flipping through picture albums of the Bible. This is how I'm going to do it. Okay, so for you to understand this genealogy, for us to really understand who is this Abraham dude and who is David and why are they the ones that that start with? Why does it start there? Well, it's very important. The first one is Abraham. Last week, Charlie preached on Noah and his family, you know, and that was early on in Genesis and you start from Adam and Eve and his, their three sons, Cain and Abel and Seth, and eventually you're going to get to such a mess that God wipes them all out, and he's going to begin again with Noah. Uh, but again, their hearts are evil. But by the time Abraham comes, the world's starting to fill up again. It's kind of like the table of nations. But of all the people in the world, God picked a guy named Abram. And he said, Abram, I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. And, and Abram, and although he was married, he had no kids. And God made this ridiculous promise to an old man with an older woman of a wife. And he says, I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to be blessed and your seed is going to be blessed and all nations are going to be blessed through your seed. Abraham, look up, man. You see all the stars? By the way, I was up in the mountains of North Carolina and to see the stars when you don't feel all that, the ambient light around, I saw three shooting stars. The one night I went out, one, two, three. Can you imagine Abraham seeing what he saw without any light? And God's saying, by the way, you can have more descendants than all those. I mean, God made some ridiculously big God-sized promises to Abraham. He's called the patriarch of our faith. God made ridiculous promises that only God can make that this, this man is going to have more descendants. He's going to have a land. And you know what Abraham did? He believed God and says that God credited to him his righteousness. He wasn't a righteous God, and then guy, then God loved him. No, no. He was just a stranger that God says, come over here. I love you, and you're going to be mine. I'm going to bless all nations through you. And so to Abraham, God promised a seed of promise that would bless all nations. He promised a seed that would be more numerous than all the stars. He promised a land. God's the God of promise. So when Jesus is connected to Abraham, he connects us to all those promises that only Jesus, all the nations will be blessed. Only in Jesus will there be more than the stars of the sky. Then he promised, connects us to David. Well, if we quickly flip through the photo album of David, we find out that I preached on David recently, right? I mean, David is the anointed king, and he's the, the man of God's own choosing, right? I mean, God has said to David that through his line, uh, through the line of David, there will become a king whose son will sit on the throne of God forever. Who in the world could that be? J E S U S. The only one. All the promises that God made to David in his kingdom, saying, by the way, if you do the right thing, if you keep covenant, I'm going to bless you. If you do the right thing, I'm going to have your son sit on the throne. Only Jesus could fill that, and he did. And we're the ones who get blessed with that. So, so that's, that's a little bit about Abraham. That's a little bit about David. It's going to be very important. So the genealogy is going to say, Jesus is coming, and all the promises to Abraham, they're going to come through him. The promised seed, come through him. And the promised king, through David, it's going to come through him. That, that's why he's saying this genealogy. 
And then you get this guy, Judah. Who in the world is Judah? Well, Abraham was part of the big three, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. And they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And of the 12 tribes, one emerges as the tribe of most prominence. It's Judah, because through Judah, a king is going to come, Jesus. And through Judah, a king will forever sit on the throne. Judah is going to emerge. He starts off a little murky, but you read through Scripture, you get through Judges, Judah's on the rise. You get to 1 Samuel, Judah's on the rise, because it all points to David, and that all points to Jesus. So that's where that comes from with Judah. Uh, Judah's quick picture. Let's, let's take a, uh, I got one more thing. Are you guys with me? Are you okay? I know this is deep water, but this is amazing. Let me tell you where this story fits. Genesis 38. It's an awkward place. If you read through the book of Genesis, you'll be saying, what in the world? Why did this story appear here? The narrator just told us of a guy named Joseph. So you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and that promised son, that one favorite son is Joseph, a coat of many colors, right? And the majority of the book of Genesis is going to end. It's all going to be about Joseph. And so Joseph was just sold into slavery by his brothers, if you know the story. And the next chapter, Joseph is going to be tangling with Potiphar's wife. And you wonder, say, why in the world are these two stories back to back? Why do you drop Judah into the midst of Joseph's story? Joseph's story shows that there's sexual purity in the way we should live in the promised land. Judah, don't go here. It's a beautiful contrast. Hit pause. Have you ever read this thing? It's amazing. I'm telling you, the stories in here are amazing. And they are, they point, every one of them whispers the name Jesus. And you're going to read them and you're going to scratch your head sometime and say, how in the world can these knuckleheads be loved by our holy God? How can these be the ones who have gone before us? That's who we have. That's amazing. So anyway, let's get to Tamar. Tamar is deceived, disgraced, and discarded. So Judah does something that his dad and granddad doesn't do. He marries a Canaanite, right? But it was very important for Jacob and Isaac. They didn't marry Canaanites. They were supposed to marry within the family. But he marries a Canaanite, um, and he has three boys by Shua's daughter. Isn't it amazing? She's not even given a name. She's known by her dad's name. Shua's daughter gives, her, gives him three sons. Judah's first uh, son is Ur. Um, wow. Um, and Ur raises up, and, and then uh, she's given by Judah a wife. Ur is given a wife, Tamar. No one calls her by name except the narrator. Sad. All right? Tamar, uh, so Ur. We don't know much about Ur. Here's what we know about the dude. He makes it into Scripture, and here's what's said. God took him out because he was so bad. <laughs> How bad was that guy, right? I mean, he was so bad that God, poof, gone. I can't stand him. Er, you're out of here. Get rid of her. So hold on, hit pause. How's Tamar's life been if her husband is so bad that God himself takes him out, right? And what's the misery? What's the scars? I mean, put yourself in her shoes. What hell has she experienced with this man? So then comes the brother-in-law. Now, more scripture that's unbelievable. Do you know that it was so important in the promised land for a name to remain a name in the land, for you not to lose your place, 
that if a brother dies, it was the younger brother's responsibility. You don't believe me, it's Deuteronomy 25. It's called the Leverite Law, which means brother-in-law. It was the brother-in-law's duty to take his wife's widow and to give her a child. Now marry her, although it doesn't, there's no marriage in this, marry her and give her a child. Now watch this. The child that the widow would have would have the family name of the brother and would have all the inheritance of the brother. And so the brother-in-law is blessing his dead brother. He's honoring the family name, but he's doing it at his expense. Guess what? If she doesn't have any kids, guess who gets the inheritance? He does. So Onan comes in and his father says, Judah says, okay, Tamar, you got to, doesn't call her by name, you got to go into your sister-in-law. You got to do what you got to do, but give her, give her a son. And Onan, complete jackass. I mean, he's going to basically say, oh, I'll sleep with her. I, 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 I'll please myself. But I'm not giving her a kid. Because that kid's not going to be mine. And I'm going to lose an inheritance. So he got pleasure, but wanted to make sure that she didn't get what she deserved of a child and an heir. And you got to understand, a widow in those days, she's defenseless without somebody covering her. I mean, she, 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 she needs to have a covering. She needs to have a son, an heir, someone looking out for her. But Onan, man, it says every time that he took pleasure, every time he made sure that that, that was not going to happen. And the Lord is like, 0 for 2. I'm taking him out. I mean, he's making it look like he's doing the real thing. He's gone too. So he's, he's gone. I mean, talk about Onan's deceiving Tamar. Talk about absolutely betraying her, disgracing her, and discarding her. Uh, talk about that reality. Then, then, you have, then you have Judah. Judah's got one more boy. So far, he's 0 for 2. So what do I do with his last son? Now, by the way, Sheila, by the time that Onan died, probably wasn't able, he probably hadn't reached puberty. And so he rightfully says, okay, go back, go back to your, your father, terrible, let him take care of you. You are a mess, Tamar. And I'll, I'll send along Sheila when he's of age. He'll do what you're, he's supposed to do. He's supposed to, according to God's word, marry you. He's supposed to give you kids now. But Judah says, there's no way. This woman's cursed. I'm not going to give you 0 for 3. So he doesn't do it. He too deceives Tamar. He too disgraces Tamar. Go live as a widow out of my sight. Let me just discard you. So that's Tamar's situation. It's desperate. So what does she do? She hears that Judah's coming to town. Judah lost her, his wife, probably lonely. I think I'll find out. I mean, this, this sheep shearing thing, there's a party around that. There's a lot of alcohol around that. There were people feeling good about this. Uh, so this was a good time to go. Um, so go, she goes and she, she dresses herself like a prostitute puts herself right in the way of Judah. And Judah, without missing a beat, says, how much? All right, let's go. How much? I'll give you a goat. Well, how do I know you'll give me a goat? All right, well, give me your cord and your, your staff and your signet. It's kind of like those things that identified him as him. If you wanted to ever put a signet in, that this is Judah's. Um, the things that would make sure that, that they knew uh, that who this was. So Judah sleeps with Tamar for an offer of a goat, uh, gives her these things, and then Judah finds out she's pregnant. 
And what does he say? Those of you who like Monty Python, burn her. <laughs> they were supposed to stone her, but he was so ticked, that wasn't enough. Let's burn her. And she, in incredible ways, oh, by the way, can you send these to Judah? Have him examine them. Who owns these? And he would say, wow, she is more righteous than me. Tamar is more righteous than Judah. So listen, this is like, who's more righteous? The one who dresses like a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law to sleep with him and get pregnant? Or the one who is a father-in-law who sleeps with a prostitute for a goat? Okay, which one's more righteous? <laughs> they both sound like they need a lot of grace. But here, I believe, is the beautiful thing. If you've missed it, jump back in because this is unbelievable. Tamar, she knew the story of Abraham. And she knew that there was a promised seed to come. And she knew that through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Judah, was one to come. And can we say that she was right to dress as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law to have incest, sex, and have a child? No. But she had faith. And the faith is, and it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, in the Old Testament it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Did Judah have faith? Are you kidding me? She had faith. She was more righteous because the righteous live by faith that God would provide. A promised seed would come. Let me wrap this up and say these things. Tamar is proof that God's plan will not fail. And who is the hero of this story? It's the hero of every story. It's God. God's the hero of all the stories. What about Judah? How about Judah? You know, the tribe, the lion of Judah. I mean, you know, hail King Judah. You know, hail, hail King Judah. Judah is sinful. What about Ur? So bad he's taken out. What about Onan? Are you kidding me? He's the biggest snake in the whole story. And Judah, he will not give his son Shelah. And Judah, he's willing to place the promised seed into a prostitute? Judah and his boys were willing, listen to this, Judah and his boys were willing to throw away the promised seed, to spill it. The story would have ended if it wasn't for Tamar. There would be no more Christmas, there would be no Christmas, there'd be no rescue, there would be no Jesus if there wasn't the Tamar peace. She connects the promised seed and keeps it going along. God walks with her, and God is proof that he will provide for her. She's righteous. She's faithful to the promised seed. She's seemingly forgotten, and she saves all. Hit pause. Have you ever thought you're seemingly forgotten? You ever lived your life and thought, where are you, God? Are you kidding me? Can you be in the midst of this? Can you rescue What's your greatest fear? Tamar reminds us, as a twice-widow, God's promises never fail. And all of God's promises find yes in Jesus. Tamar reminds us that God will rescue his children, and he's always successful. Tamar re reminds us that God is with us. What is it about your situation that makes you feel that God has not provided for you? Tamar reminds us, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, God is able. God is in control. God's plan is working and will not pass, fail, and he will not pass us by. Thank you, Tamar. Merry Christmas. Will you tell at least one person this year when they say Merry Christmas to you, say, thank you, Tamar, 
and they'll think, what in the world happened to you? And tell me, let me tell you something. There's a story about Christmas, and there's a, there, there's a twice-widowed woman who stepped in a gap that you never thought, and what she did was crazy. But she's in Jesus' genealogy. Thank you, Tamar. Thank you for faith in God's promises. Uh, my picture is going to be in more than just my mom's photo albums. My picture, by God's grace, is a part of God's family. Because sinners like Tamar and sinners like Judah get in by God's grace in the work of Christ. And so do you and me. Is your picture in the story. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Tamar. Say it at least once this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, what an incredible story. I love it. God, what a great storyteller you are. And I, I got to admit, I complain that Matthew starts with genealogy. It seems to be a marketing nightmare. It seems to be the worst decision going. You want to start telling the story of Jesus, and you list a bunch of names. But God, you had a reason. And the first woman that you listed was a twice-widowed woman named Tamar, a one who was deceived, disgraced, and discarded. But one you said, nope, she's a part of my family. She's a part of my story. She's in line to my son. Her name is going to be held up because she believed in God's promises. God, may we believe in the God of promise. And God, may our names and our pictures be in your family album because we, are, we too are connected to Jesus and what grace he's shown to sinners like us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.